Noah Williams has played productive minutes at both Washington State and Washington, and now he is in the transfer portal. What role could he play at Gonzaga if the team were to pursue him? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Happy Friday, everybody. We got some women's basketball recruiting and scheduling to discuss today to close out the week. We're also going to update you on two of Gonzaga's most legendary point guards. But before we do that, we have another transfer to talk about here for Gonzaga. Lately, we've been talking about players who are recently in the portal. Of course, we talked about Paul Mulcahy a few weeks ago, a late addition to the portal out of Rutgers. We talked about Joe Toussaint uh, from West Virginia very recently. We talked about Javon Quinterly on Thursday's episode from Alabama. So we're kind of talking about guards. We expect Gonzaga. They have three open scholarships right now following the decommitment of Alex Tui. So Zags aren't going into the season with three open scholarships. They're just not. They might go in with two. They'll probably go in with at least one, but they're not going to go in with three. So there's going to be an addition. Maybe it's a 2023 player in the recruiting class. Maybe it's an international player, or maybe it's a player in the transfer portal. Like we said, they're talking to Paul Mulcahy. They're talking to Joe Toussaint. I wouldn't be shocked if if it comes out very soon that a list of schools that have contacted Javon Quinterly includes Gonzaga, but today I want to talk about a player who's been in the transfer portal for a very, very long time, Noah Williams, out of the University of Washington. Uh, He entered the portal on April 5th, and since April 5th, there has been very little conversation around Noah Williams, not a lot of lists, not a lot of rumors, not a lot of anything. And I'm kind of curious what to make of that, because Noah Williams is far, he's been a productive high major player for four years. Yes, There is a difference in high major between the best schools in the Big 12 in Washington and Washington State. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who averages nearly double figures in high major programs for four years. He's a six foot five guard from Seattle. He went to O'Day High School right in the heart of Seattle, same school as Palo Bancaro and many other very, very good basketball schools. It is a basketball factory of sorts. He then spent three years at Washington State from 2019 to 2022. He had a breakout season in the 2020-21 campaign where he averaged 14.1 points, three and a half boards, 2.7 assists, 1.6 steals, and he shot 38% from deep. That is a tremendous season from Noah Williams. 14 points, three and a half boards, two and a half assists, 37%, excuse me, 38% from three. He never really replicated that, though. His first year at Washington State wasn't that good. Granted, he was a freshman. His third year at Washington State wasn't nearly as productive as well. And so he finishes his career at Wazoo, averaging just under 10 points per game, about three and a half boards, uh, and with only a 31% three-point shot uh, with the Cougars. And then he goes over to UW, and he plays at UW for the 22-23 season. But unfortunately, injuries derailed his season. He only played 14 games for the Huskies, started 10 of them, played about 25 minutes per game. So when he was healthy, he was playing significant minutes for the Huskies and Mike Hopkins, averaged 8.7 points, three rebounds, two assists, 
and one steal per game. He shot 41% on two-pointers and 31% from deep. So not a particularly efficient scorer in that lone season at UW, but we are talking about a 14-game sample size, less than half a season. So don't want to put too much weight on those numbers. Uh, Some of it is just adjusting to being in a new offense, a new defense, certainly playing in that zone defense for, for Hopkins at UW. So I'm not overly concerned about the uh, overall field goal percentage. I will say that he's not going to be the most efficient scorer Gonzaga has ever recruited in the transfer portal, but they have recruited a lot of not particularly efficient scores in the past and seen their efficiency blow up when they get to Gonzaga. This is a common, common story. I've called it on this podcast, the Ryan Woolridge effect, and I will continue to name it that uh, until we see other players uh, maybe take that mantle. Rasir Bolton probably has a case for that mantle as he went from like 34% in college to 46% in his first year in Spokane from three. Uh, Yeah, I mentioned this at the top, but for Noah Williams, we haven't really heard a a list of schools that are interested in him, programs that have reached out. Uh, That doesn't mean that programs have not reached out. It would be shocking if they hadn't. He's been in the portal for almost three months now and is a talented high major scorer i wonder if there is some hesitation about trying to figure out the waiver perspective he should at the very least have one year of eligibility remaining without a doubt as far as i understand it i've seen some places label him as a transfer with two years of eligibility remaining so i wonder if because he's had some injuries because he's missed parts of some seasons i wonder if he is applying for a waiver if that is part of the reason that we haven't heard a lot of updates on him this is just speculation on my part i don't know for sure but it It's unusual to see a player with any kind of pedigree have this much radio silence around them and their uh, transfer aspirations. Um, So he's only played in Washington. So that's part of the reason that Gonzaga does crop up as a potential landing spot here. You could just kind of pinball between the eastern side and the western side of the state, start at Wazoo, go to UW, go back to Spokane area and go to Gonzaga, of course. Maybe he wants to transfer. I I know I've said before that I don't like this phrase, but maybe he wants to quote unquote transfer down and go somewhere like Seattle U or Eastern Washington. If he still wants to stay in the state, he would be the best player at those programs, most likely, or at least probably a guy who has the ball in his hands a whole bunch. And that's just if he wants to stay in the state. Just because he has stayed in the state up to this point in his college career does not mean that he does not want to to, uh, play anywhere else for his final season. In fact, I could see an argument for him wanting to go somewhere else for the final year of college eligibility, or even if he has two years left, go somewhere else for those. Uh, I'm just creating my own list of schools that I think could use a player like Williams with his skill set. We know Memphis is heavily involved in trying to get a guard. They're looking at both Toussaint and Quinterly. Uh, It sounds like they have a big upper hand on Quinterly right now, but if they don't get him, perhaps they'll pivot. Rutgers lost both Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy to the transfer portal in quick succession. They have not made a replacement since then, so that could be a potential landing spot for him as well. West Virginia, of course, makes sense, would be a, I say a reunion with Raekwon Battle. I don't think Raekwon Battle and Noah Williams played together at UW, but they would have played at least against each other when Williams was at Washington State and Raekwon Battle was at UW. Um, they may have played each other in high school as well, both Washington State high school players. Uh, Cincinnati has continued to be a school that crops up in the guard market and as a team moving into the Big 12, it might be a cool opportunity for for Williams to get a chance to play a big role on a team in the best basketball conference in the country. And if you wanted to stay in the Pac-12, of course, Oregon State makes some sense there. Stanford makes some sense. Cal has already made a bunch of additions in the portal, but could probably use some more talented players on that roster. So there are some options there as well. And that's just a short list. There's plenty more places that may or may not be interested in Noah Williams. We just haven't seen those lists yet.
As for his role as at Gonzaga, it's not too different from what we've been talking about with some of the other guys, but the conversations we had earlier this week about Joe Toussaint from West Virginia and Javon Quinterly from Alabama centered around the fact that both those guys are about six feet tall. And so you're adding a six foot guard into a team that already has Nolan Hickman and Ryan Empard cemented into significant roles for next year. And you're just kind of looking at a small guard rotation. No Williams is six, four. So you're automatically getting a bigger guard. That is kind of something missing on this roster. I'm projecting steel venters to play most of his minutes at the three, but that is contingent on how ready for college basketball action. June sock. Yo is if Yo's ready to play big minutes, venters might play more of his minutes at the two. That kind of creates a situation where Gonzaga doesn't have this small guard issue. Dusty Stromer is listed at six, six. So he wouldn't, he's not going to contribute to the size issue for Gonzaga's guards, but I don't know how much he is going to play in year one for Williams. He kind of fits the Malachi Smith mold in a fairly clear way. He's not as prolific of a scorer as Malachi Smith was at Chattanooga. Uh, not as prolific of an outside shooter. He's had one great outside shooting season and that's kind of it for him. Now, granted, there's a difference between playing at Chattanooga and playing at UW and Washington state, but I still don't think that Noah Williams would be as efficient of a scorer necessarily. Malachi Smith came in and shot 50% from three last year. That's hard for anybody to do. So it's not necessarily a knock on Williams, but I do see a player here in Noah Williams who is again, six, four, six, five in that range, who has ball handling skills, facilitation skills, scoring skills again not necessarily efficiency skills but they're there somewhere uh, and i also see a player who's a good defender and i think that's a key part of this conversation with noah williams he was top 20 a top 20 defender in the pac 12 twice based on defensive box plus minus based on defensive rating uh, his steal numbers were really good he's got over 100 career steals to his name this is a player who would come in and impact gonzaga on the defensive end of the floor brian nembhard and nolan hickman are Fine, but not great defensive players. Steel Venters, not a lot of indication that he's going to be a, a great defensive player. So Gonzaga's guard defense is an area that needs some improvement. Noah Williams would provide that. If his efficiency doesn't tick up offensively, if he doesn't end up being a player who contributes much on that end of the floor, but he comes in and is a solid point of attack defender, is used in end game situations to guard the Cam Spencers of the world, as we saw last year from LMU, who just dominated the Zags, or Aiden Mahaney from St. Mary's for that matter. They got at least one more year of dealing with him uh, in Moraga. So Noah Williams is the kind of player who could potentially fill that role for Gonzaga. And if he does nothing else, having him fill that role, I think would be very valuable for Mark Few's team. Of course, Gonzaga has success pulling guards from UW in the past. Dan Dickow, Nigel Williams-Goss, two of the best in school history coming from UW. Noah Williams probably not going to reach that echelon, that threshold necessarily, but still a, a pipeline that has been successful for the Zags in the past. Well, speaking of Nigel Williams-Goss, we got some conversation about a pair of legendary Gonzaga point guards who had big career milestones this week. We're going to discuss that and more coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. Zach fans, perhaps you want to make a bet regarding Marco Gonzalez on the Mariners 
or Eli Morgan and the Guardians. Either way, do not miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Lockdown Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. And a big shout out to those everyday listeners checking us out on YouTube. Appreciate every single one of you. If you want to become an everyday listener, just go hit that subscribe button on YouTube and make sure you get notified for every new show that's coming out. Next week on the show, we got more coverage of Gonzaga's roster, who they might add, what some of the playing time situations might look like, all that coming up as well as some pro Zags updates. We're even going to talk about some Olympic Zags as well. For right now, though, I want to pivot to talk about two of the best point guards in Gonzaga basketball history, both who had new updates in their careers. We're going to start with Courtney Vandersloot. Courtney Vandersloot playing for the New York Liberty, her first WNBA season, not with the Chicago Sky, where she spent a decade and, of course, won a championship very recently. Courtney Vandersloot became the fastest women's basketball player ever to reach 2,500 career assists. She reached that threshold in her 373rd game. That is 51 games faster than anybody else did it. Now, we say anybody else. Only two other players have ever reached the 2,500 assist mark. As we know, Courtney Vandersloot is third all-time in WNBA assists right now. She's behind the legendary Sue Bird, who just retired, giving Courtney a chance at actually catching that record. She's also behind Ticha Penichero, who she's only 98 assists behind Ticha right now. She's probably going to get there this year. She has 117 assists through 14 games already this season, averaging 8.4 per game. She is on a team that is absolutely stacked with Brianna Stewart, one of the most prolific scorers in the WNBA right now. She's got Sabrina Ionescu next to her. She's also got John Kel Jones in the front court, a stacked, monstrous team in New York for the Liberty. Courtney Vandersloot is playing the distributor role to perfection for the Liberty right now. So I think she's going to be second place in WNBA history and assists by the time this season wraps up at the end of the summer. The question is whether she's able to catch Sue Bird. Because right now, as I'm recording this, she has 732 assists from Sue Bird. Courtney has topped the 300 assist mark in a single season in her career at times, but it is not an easy task for her to do. So if we say her best case scenarios are in the 250 to 300 range per season, and that's you know what she did at her peak. She's 34 right now. So if we drop it down to like 225, we're talking about three more full seasons. Now she's still got a half season left here. So this season plus two more seasons, maybe, maybe gets her there. This plus three more seasons, especially if we see a little bit of a drop off for her just because she's getting into her mid to late 30s. It tends to happen when you get to that age. I still think that this is going to happen. Sue Bird played until she was 40. Courtney's not even going to need to do that to get to be the all-time assist leader. It's looking more and more like, and you know, you know, knock on wood, of course, injuries can happen. Uh, sudden drop-offs in production can happen. Like there, it's, it's nothing is guaranteed. It's sports. Nothing is guaranteed. But Courtney Vandersloot looks like she is on track. And again, she hit the 2,500 assist mark 51 games sooner than anybody else did. So she is on a better pace than anybody else. Now, again, Sue played for a really long time. So if Courtney plays till she's 38, she's probably going to get there. 
And what an accomplishment that would be. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Having John Stockton be the all-time leader in assists in the NBA, having Courtney Vandersloot be the all-time assist leader in the WNBA would be an incredibly cool accomplishment for Gonzaga. I don't know that it means much. It doesn't mean that Gonzaga is better at producing passers than any school ever. It just means they have produced the best passer in the NBA and the best passer in the WNBA. That's literally all that it means, but it is still cool. And we've talked about this a few times on the show as well. David Stockton has an outside chance, depending how long he plays, of ending up being the G League's all-time leader in assists. A bit of a dubious accomplishment, I suppose. Uh, for those of you who have watched Bull Durham for uh, a, a very famous baseball movie from the late 80s, uh, Crash Davis sets the minor league home run record. And it's kind of a joke about how that's not necessarily an accomplishment you want in your career. But if David were to become the G League's all-time assist leader and the Zags had G League, NBA, WNBA, you got to admit that's a pretty fun story, right? Courtney, right now with the New York Liberty, 14 games, 11.2 points, 8.4 assists, 3.7 rebounds. She's shooting 50% from the from two, only shooting 25% from three. But again, we're talking about a 14-game sample size. I suspect that is going to tick up as the season goes on. Moving on from Courtney, I also want to talk about Nigel Williams-Goss. We talked about him a little bit in the first segment as one of the infamous UW to Gonzaga transfers. Williams-Goss just signed a new contract with Olympiacos in Greece. Uh, he is It's a homecoming of sorts for NWG. He played for them originally in the 2018-2019 season, one of his first professional seasons. Uh, he played 23 games with them back then, averaged 11 points and four and a half assists. The team also went 21 and two in those 23 games that he played with them. So I'm not surprised that he has some pretty fond memories of going to Greece and beating everybody that he played. Uh, since then, he spent a little bit of time with the Utah Jazz, nine games. He spent uh, part of that season as well with the Salt Lake Stars, the G League affiliate there, averaged 15 and five and a half. And then he spent uh, nine games in Russia with a team called Kuban, and then he spent the last two years in Real Madrid in Spain, and he won a championship. He went to Real Madrid to play with this really, really stacked program, knowing that he would play a smaller role, but he went there specifically with the goal of winning a championship. In fact, this is a quote. I pulled this directly off of his Instagram for those of you who do not follow him there. He said, I said when I got to Madrid that I didn't care about stats or individual awards. I said players come to Madrid come to Madrid to win titles, to leave here as a EuroLeague champion. I feel nothing but grateful, not only grateful for the titles, but for the moments and friendships created along the way. And yeah, so Nigel Williams-Goss averaged 6.5 points, three assists, and two boards in 21 games this last year with Real Madrid. Team went 19-2 and two in those games, so very clearly had a positive impact on that team, but was playing a much smaller role. I suspect we will see him return to being a double-digit scorer and a four-to-five assist guy with Olympiacos next season, and it sounds like he's very, very happy to be back there. So excited for him. Love tracking these guys' careers in Europe, and we're going to continue to do that throughout the offseason, do some more Zags in Europe conversations, talk about guys like Kevin Pangos, guys like Kyle Wilcher, Jeremy Jones, Jonathan Williams, uh, everybody else who is playing overseas. There's, there's many guys that you would not think are still playing professional basketball. Ira Brown was playing as recent as last year uh Matisse Merninghoff was playing last year as well so like kind of talk about some of those guys it's one of my favorite shows to do over the offseason so that'll be coming here uh sometime probably in July or August where the ladies eggs offered a 15 year old freshman phenom who dropped 50 points in a game last year as a high school freshman we're gonna discuss that and more coming up right after this
All right, folks, segment three here. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. And we're still talking a little bit women's basketball here to close out the week. We talked about Cordy Vanderstoot there uh, in the second segment. Now we're going to look at the Lady Zags. We're going to talk about this recruit that they are checking out, as well as a new schedule update for Lisa Fortier's program. First off, 15-year-old freshman Freenom, Phenom, Brooklyn Haywood. Brooklyn Haywood is from Vancouver, Washington, from Union High School. She moved there from Anchorage, Alaska. She's a member of the class of 2026, and she is, by all definitions, a phenom. Like I said, she scored 50 points in a game earlier this year. Uh, she's aver- She averaged 26 points per game in high school, again, as a true freshman. She has over 50,000 followers on Instagram, which is always notable, uh, and she's yeah, she's just one of those, uh, you know, one of those phenomenal young women who the Zags have and many, many other programs have already reached out to. There's a great article about her at KGW that I was reading earlier. It's back from back in February. So it was a little bit dated, but it talked about uh, how, you know, she has always wanted to do this and worked really hard. She gets 500 shots up per day. Her parents moved from Anchorage to Vancouver to be closer to her, uh, her travel coach, closer to her trainer get some better competition at the high school level. It doesn't seem to have impacted her as she's dropping 50 in games. So uh, it's way too early to know. She has no interest in rushing her recruiting. I know she's very close with Alyssa Peely, who plays at Utah. So I think Utah probably has a bit of an advantage there. Also a top 10 program in the country, which certainly will help. But Gonzaga threw out an offer. St. Mary's has thrown out an offer. A couple other smaller schools have made offers already. Long Beach State, Sacramento State, Um if she continues to play this at this kind of level, she's probably going to play her her way out of being a zag down the line. I could see her going to a Pac-12 school makes the most sense, whether it's Oregon or Utah or uh, UCLA, wherever it may end up being. Uh, UCLA, of course, will not be a Pac-12 school by then, but you get the picture. Um, still very cool to see the, the zags involved in somebody like this. Uh, and then we also got a scheduling update for the women's basketball program. I know some people have asked me mailbag questions about what the women's basketball schedule is going to look like next year. And uh, we don't get a lot of updates on what the men's schedule is going to look like. And we get even less about the women's schedule. So we will know when we know. Uh, and what we found out is that the ladies acts are going to participate in the Jerry Colangelo Hall of Fame series this December. They will play Arizona on December 20th. Folks, this is the first time that Gonzaga and Arizona have met as women's basketball programs ever. So that's fun. That's a cool uh, relationship to, to be developing. Of course, the Jerry Colangelo Classic takes place in Phoenix every single year. There are two men's game and two women's game on the docket. I think it's uh, Fresno State and Arizona State for the other women's game. And then I know one of the men's games is Arizona versus Alabama, which is going to be a really fun basketball game. Uh, Arizona State is playing somebody else in the other game. I do not. Oh, Northwestern. They're playing Northwestern in the other game there. So a lot of fun games going on on both the men's and the women's side there. Uh, for for Arizona, they were 22-10 and 10 last year. Uh, they were a seven seed, so Gonzaga was a nine seed, so kind of similar-ish range there. Uh, the Arizona program was ranked as high as 19th. The Pac-12 was awesome top to bottom last year. Really, really good women's basketball conference. Terrible men's basketball conference, but very good on the women's side. Arizona is going to be a tough program, and, and this is going to be a really good test for the women's team. And, and I think that's kind of what I'm really hoping we see from Coach Lisa Fortier and this program because they have so much continuity on their roster. They lose Michaela Williams who transferred to Cal and she was a starter and a eight point per game score, really good defender. That's a tough loss for them. But other than that, 
They return the Trunk Twins. They return Vonnie Egem. They return Brenna Maxwell. They return Eliza Hollingsworth. They return Callie Stokes, Esther Little. Like they're bringing back just about everybody. Bree Selenbean has been on the bench because of an ACL injury. She was a highly touted recruit when she came in. Uh, they added a transfer from Utah as well, who didn't play much while at Utah, but was a, a promising high school recruit as well. So this is a team that I think is going to be really good next year. But the WCC is going to be bad. Portland was very good last year, but they've lost almost all of their talent. They had multiple women enter the transfer portal. They had a couple of their players graduate. And so I think that they're going to be down from where they were last year, probably significantly down. BYU has long been the biggest competitor for Gonzaga in the WCC. They're gone. They're going to the big 12. So for Gonzaga, a WCC that let them down last year, there's no other way to look at it. The WCC let Gonzaga down last year. They were a better team than a nine seed. I understand why they got seeded at nine. And of course, they got smacked by Ole Miss in the first round game, but they were a better team than that. They just didn't get opportunities to prove it because the WCC was pretty bad. If you're anticipating the WCC is going to be bad again this year, which I am, and unless Coach Fortier knows more than I do, which to be clear, she does, but I don't think it's going to be better. It might be worse. And if that's the situation, you have to go out and schedule the best non-conference that you possibly can because you have a veteran team, an experienced team, a team capable of handling these challenges more than most of the rosters that Fortier has had. And she's had some dang good rosters. You have the, the makings of a team that could make an Elite Eight run. You genuinely do on this team. But you're not going to make it from a nine seed. I mean, you might, but it's, it's a lot more difficult. You'd rather make it as a six seed or a five seed. And Gonzaga's capable of getting those numbers if they pull off multiple big marquee non-conference victories. In order to pull off multiple marquee non-conference victories, you have to play multiple marquee teams in the non-conference, not rocket science there. Arizona is a great start. This team is also going on a foreign trip in August. We talked about that with Callie Stokes on an episode a few weeks ago. If you have not checked that one out, go find it in your feed. It was a fantastic, fun interview with her. And they're very excited for this. They get to go to Greece. They get to go to the Czech Republic or, excuse me, Croatia. They're going to have a lot of fun out there, but they're also going to play some, some fun games, hopefully, and get, get some opportunity to gel and, and, and even get more tight-knit and experienced and, and close together. Uh, but you've got to get some really big games on the counter. And we'll see as we continue to get updates on what the women's basketball schedule is going to look like. I suspect that they're doing everything they can to get as many marquee games as they possibly can because they know how impactful and how important it's going to be for their scheduling next year. So as we continue to hear more on the women's basketball schedule, we will continue to get that updated and out to you all here on the Locked On Zags podcast. But that is going to do it for me today and for this week. So I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Uh, shout out to the everyday listener. Shout out to everybody, though, whether you are a first-time listener, 10th-time listener, 150th-time listener, whatever it may be. I do appreciate all of you, but I do love those everyday listeners if you want to become an everyday listener. Make sure you find the show wherever you find podcasts. It is available on all podcast platforms. You can also go hit that subscribe button on YouTube. It is very much appreciated. All right, folks, thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend. And of course, as always, go Zags.